I'm someone who looks for shortcuts and ways to do things, leveraging what I've already done before. And I always go into projects thinking, okay, but like, why are we reinventing the wheel here? Why are we not thinking about ways we've done this before? Why aren't we um, learning from the experiences we've had before? And then in the business context, it's no different. You know, although I read a lot and I attend a lot of seminars and I, you know, I'm never afraid to take on coaches or mentors of my own. I'm always looking for areas of overlap between the messages they're sharing. Because I think if you take, you know, Chris's perspective or Matthew's perspective out of the equation and you look at the perspective itself, you'll probably see very uh, similar interests, very similar ways and concepts of explaining something. And those are the keys. So, um, you know, just in the professional context, I've seen these things happen in technology. Maybe it's because I've grown up in a restaurant environment where, you know, I've been very in the nuts and bolts of ways to do things. And I don't think I'm going to take this order to that table and then I must come back and take this order to the next one. No, maybe it's I must take both these orders because one is on the way to the other. And it's just really looking for those opportunities to streamline, systemize, automate my processes so that I'm just running at higher efficiency. I'm Chris O'Hare, your Quick Win CEO. And as the CEO, I've run businesses, founded startups, consultant for others, and even won awards. But in this show, we'll be talking to entrepreneurs and experts to help you understand key concepts for your business, along with three quick wins that you can take away and apply to your business today. And every week, we'll be finding out about the entrepreneur themselves and diving into a different but important topic. But have you ever wondered how you could apply software development methodologies to optimize your business? Well, management consultant and entrepreneur Matthew Thiessen has done just that. Whilst working as an IT consultant, Matthew saw the benefit of the software development lifecycle and how the five stages of planning, analysis, design, implementation, and maintenance can be applied to your business. And as an entrepreneur, Matthew also tells us about his journey so far describes how he was influenced by his father's entrepreneurial ways, including working in the family's wimpy businesses back in South Africa. Matthew is very accomplished with a number of impressive qualifications. So it was only a matter of time before he started his own businesses here in the UK. So here we go, Matthew Thiessen. Thanks for coming on the show, Matthew. Firstly, tell me the last thing that you read or watched or did that left an impression on you. It could be anything. It could be a Netflix series, a funny video, a book you read, or even a quote you heard. Cool. Thanks very much for having me, Chris. So um, I'll just start with a book. So the first one is The KPI, The Key Person of Influence. Now, this book is really good for anyone who's looking to start out on their entrepreneurial journey and become a key person of influence. So it talks through five stages. Um, and that was really, really left a good impression on me. The other one is watching a movie on Friday evening actually is the new Justice League movie. And I think the importance here is the spirit of togetherness as a team rather than working and acting in silos. And I think it's something we can relate to, especially for the content and uh, topic of today's discussion. Yeah, hundred percent. I mean, I really like, let's, let's dive into that key person of influence because it's a book that I haven't actually read yet. Um, and, and that's one thing that this uh, podcast has done for me is given me a massive book list. I have yeah. so much. And then going on clubhouse, same thing. I've got tons of uh, books that people have recommended to me that I should go and read, uh, which uh, just gives me a bit more of that, that feeling that I'm not doing enough for my entrepreneurial journey and not learning enough. But yeah, key person of influence. Um, tell me roughly what it's about. And is that something that's aligning with your journey right now? Yeah, 100%. So it's written by Daniel Priestley. Um, so for anyone who's listening and wants to find out more, uh, he runs, uh, I think it's his company's called Dent but definitely go and check that out. But it basically talks about five stages and I'm just going to quickly look over because I've got the diagram uh, as a constant reminder behind me every day. So it talks about having a pitch, um, having your publication of ideas. And so I think it's around creating content and things that make you stand out from the rest of the crowd. Um, it has productizing. So taking your ideas and the content that you're publishing and then having a product that suits it um, and aligns to your niche and your target market. The next one is raising your profile. So this is, you know, he talks about if I was to Google you, will you appear on five different channels? Um, 
So it's just really about, you know, how are you working out uh, as a visibility on the market? And then the last one is partnerships. So this is, would be a good example because, you know, you've got a podcast, I've got a business, here we are working together. And it's just really in the spirit of collaboration. So if you think through those five Ps, so you've spoken about pitch, uh, pitch publish, productize, profile, and partnerships, then uh, yeah, so it really was an amazing book. So I'm really glad that I read it. That's really interesting. And I can see some of that working with you on Clubhouse and hearing you speak. You definitely have those five nailed, I would say. So uh, he's clearly left you uh, an impression on you. And I've seen Dan Priestley on, on the uh, Clubhouse rooms as well, chatting away. So that's really cool that you get to, uh, have you actually spoken to him on a Clubhouse room yet? Um, well, I've, I've seen him at a live event uh, back when those were still a thing pre-pandemic. Um, and then, yes, I've tried to connect with him again on Instagram. Um, but I mean, yeah, I, I'm glad you say I've got it nailed down. When I did the, the score test, he has a, a scorecard test that you do. I've got areas to improve on. But I think that's the point, right, is that no one is perfect, no matter where you are on your journey. Um, and there's always areas to improve. So as long as you're making constant steps forward, then at least you're making progress and, uh, and that mm. has to be the best thing. Mm, 100%, 100%. I love that. So let's kind of, let's dive into a bit about you. I mean, your background, give us the journey of where you were, um, how you started, got into your, your kind of career and your current businesses um, and give us that full kind of run through as you go through. Yeah, cool. So um, yeah, I guess it all started once upon a time back in South Africa. I was born to an entrepreneurial family. Uh, my dad has start and started, uh, started and stopped businesses and he's had various exits, but um, was basically in the franchise space. So working in um, some restaurants back in South Africa. Um, I started at a very young age, you know, helping on the till. Uh, to, to what degree, I can't remember, but I definitely remember that was a thing. Helping to make toasted sandwiches and milkshakes and you know, obviously would watch and I guess by association, pay attention to some of the things that my dad was always doing on a daily basis, seeing him come home work, um, late from work. Um, anyway, I had this little dream once upon a time that I was going to own a company called MT Global. Um, and obviously, my name is Matthew Tayson for anyone who's listening. So uh, MT Global seemed quite befitting. And the whole dream here was that it was going to be the biggest management consultancy in the world. Um, and that, that's an 11-year-old's dream. So, you know, fast forward a couple of years, I attended uh, a university, studied uh, uh, financial management and risk uh, and investments. So that's actually that on the wall there, which isn't of any consequence. But um, once I'd finished that and completed, went and started working in the corporate space. So I started a management consultancy. So do we realize the first part of the dream? Maybe. Um, consulting in the uh, private and financial services space, um, yeah, and consulted some of the big banks in South Africa. Uh, in 2017, moved over to the UK. Now, I guess before I, I get in onto the UK, it's probably important to mention that throughout my whole life, I've been working uh, in and around my dad's businesses. So I was working in his Wimpies, uh, which is this, I don't know if you know the Wimpy here. I think actually you, you will know it. It's very popular mm. in the UK as well. It, it, um, it was definitely my era, um, the Wimpies, before they kind of died down more recently. But yeah, no, I loved a good Wimpy burger. They were insane. So <laughs> I need to, yeah. need to taste your dad's Wimpies. They're probably even yeah. better. Well, in South Africa, it's a very, very popular breakfast joint. Um, and then, yes, you're right, they do do burgers. Now, my dad actually did very well as a Wimpy franchisee. Um, and they actually asked him to come and re-kickstart the UK market, which he politely declined because he doesn't like the cold weather. But uh, either which way, um, I've spent my whole working life in the restaurant. So I was doing uh, waitering. Um, I did some of the, again, some of the stuff on the soft serve. I operated on the tills. I helped him with the, the assistant managing and supervising of his stores. Um, and yeah, and you know, I also then went to university and did the same thing. So worked in the local pub and restaurant and went on to manage and run the store um, as the manager for a shift. Um, so as a student was getting all that exposure. And I think all of this just sort of really reinforced that, you know, I am entrepreneurial minded and spirited in my own right. Um, yes, obviously to have a job is to get income. But, you know, my aspirations, my passions lie in building my own future. And I think we'll get onto that in a second. Um, but, yeah, moved to the UK in 2017, uh, came across the famous Rich Dad, Poor Dad seminars. 
Um, and that's when I, I guess my, my passion really ignited. So although I had joined a small fintech company, which for anyone who doesn't know is a financial technology um, company, and that's just really looking at you know, your disruptors in tech. So if you've got your high street banks, then these are the smaller institutions that challenge those um, and got very involved with the company there, but, but equally kicked off my journey into property, uh, which got me up and running in, in that space. Um, and then, yeah, pre-pandemic, took the full-time plunge into, into entrepreneurialism, was going really well, uh, and then the pandemic hit. So, yeah, I've taken a step sideways um, and pivoted. I know that that's not really a popular word in circles these days, but pivoted back into um, financial services, consulting, um, but then equally do have my property business and more recently an e-commerce business as well. So, Oh, that's really interesting. And you also had a um, uh, opportunity at Cap Gemini, which is, if anyone doesn't know, they're, they're quite a big consultancy firm, um, especially around the technology space. And so, just give us an outline of what you did at Cap Gem Gemini. Yeah, cool. So, I still um, have started there very recently. Um, so, that's just working in a, a Scrum Master position uh, as part of one of the tech delivery teams, which is very well aligned to what we're going to be talking about today, actually. So, um, yeah, I mean, that's a, a, a very new venture, as I say, it is a sidestep back into consulting. Um, but my passion really lies in doing things like the speaking, um, reaching out to people, networking, um, and has actually made me realize that one of my unique selling points is actually to run and manage teams or, in more layman's terms, to help coach and mentor um, other people, which is what's taken me down this route of, uh, of my most recent and probably my biggest passion, which I kind of have always known, but never really, really articulated, is the coaching, mentoring, and uh, helping people because business is something that I've been born and raised with, and that's what I want to share my message with the world. It's really interesting that you, you spoke about your, your family and your dad especially giving you this uh, entrepreneurial spark and that you couldn't not fulfill that journey, right? That you had to, you had to do something entrepreneurial because it was in your blood almost. And that's very similar to me. My family are entrepreneurs. You know, I grew up with um, an entrepreneurial mother and father who who had a restaurant and nightclub, um, and they really showed me from an early age that it's about your own graft. It's your own effort. It's going to get you results in, and you can control your own destiny. It also showed me very early on that it's very hard. And, you know, if I, if I want an easy life, that I should just go get a job. Um, and I think that's yeah. what a lot of people don't realize is that entrepreneurs work very, very hard. It's they wake up, think about what they're doing that day in terms of their business and they go to sleep with that last mm. thing on their mind. And it's that eternal cycle. And we don't really even get weekends off because we're still thinking about it. We might have time off, but we might not actually have time off in our heads, right? Yeah. So it's constantly there, constantly feeling like we have to be doing something. Do you agree with that? Oh, I'm so glad you said that because that's exactly how I feel. In fact, my partner would actually agree with you and she, she will always say to me, oh, Matthew, why are you so quiet? And I'm like, oh, I'm just, you know, thinking. She's like, are you thinking about work again? I'm like, ah, I mean, maybe, you know, because it, it is, it's just so natural. But you know, you touched on a very important point there, Chris, and I just want to go back to it is, you know, your, there's that perception of getting a good job is what's going to lead you to financial freedom. But, but actually, it's the complete opposite. Now, for anyone who hasn't read it, Robert Kiyosaki has this in Rich Dad, Poor Dad. And it's really an important mind shift um, tweak almost where you need to realize that being in a job is neither secure nor the road to financial freedom. And although you're going through really the pains and it really is an ongoing struggle, or as I like to call it, a hustle to be part of business, um, it, the, the, the key distinction there is your time investment and the attributable value you can get back. So if you're working in a job, the expectation is to do your you know, nine to five and you're doing 40 hours a week. Like, okay, fine. But we all know that there's extra work, there's deadlines, there's extra responsibility. So you have an increased amount of expectation, but you don't see the attributable income and reflection in income. You have to wait for your mid-years or end of financial years and the performance reviews in order to see you go up. And even then that increase is only gonna be incremental. So it's probably not directly correlated to 
the amounts of effort you put in. And, and that just for me say, speaks volumes for what it is to be an employee. You really need to have that mind shift, uh, mindset shift and realize that although it's harder work and it really is taxing to be in business, you can reap the rewards for that investment through you know, the, 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 the time investment versus the, the attributable value return. I completely agree with that. And I love that. And the fact that you had that mindset shift in terms of hard work, it's not hard work, it's a hustle. Um, so <laughs> I have to keep reminding myself, this is really hard. No, it's a hustle. Yeah, there okay. you go. Yeah, <laughs> but definitely. So I'm going to have you um, definitely on the uh, back of my mind when I'm thinking about hard work next time. Um, really interesting stuff. Thanks for that, Matthew. And, and in your own words, let's go into the detail of what it is that you do, what your businesses do, what several businesses you do, which you've alluded to. Let's go into each one of those in detail and kind of really understand what each one does um, and kind of what the why you started them as well. That'd be quite interesting because I think the mindset uh, behind what you're doing is, is really important in this conversation. Okay, cool. So I'll start with the one that I'm definitely got like the fire in my belly for. Um, and that's coaching and mentoring. Now, if I was to go take a few steps back and remind myself of the journey there, then what we're saying is, you know, Matthew has been part of community outreach programs. Matthew has done training and health training for clients in the professional space. Matthew has been part of initiatives that have trained graduates that have come into programs. But if you now go and fast forward and say, well, what does that mean in the current context? Well, firstly, I love speaking. I've completed my public speaking courses for both Toastmasters um, and whatever a, a local institution in South Africa is, then the name eludes me now. But my Toastmasters is at least suggested that I do speak and I can enjoy speaking. But then similarly, I really get a, a, a a kick out of seeing people progress and now I've had people that I've you know even helped to train in the gym just you know my gym partners and to see their results and to see my results those are two really nice outcomes similarly to see grads go through the grad training programs to see clients walk away with their certificates knowing about uh, SDL or systems and development uh, and and some of the things around tech and agile and some of the things we'll probably talk about a, a bit later um, so, so all of that stuff really is like at the core of who I am. Um, and in fact, just reflecting with some of my friends, ask them like, what do you know me for? They said, oh, you never shut up. Okay, point one. What else don't you, well, you always ask questions. Okay, cool. So now we're getting onto the point of likes to ask questions, likes to find out information, likes to help and serve, and likes to communicate that message. So that's probably my it um, and my, my passion and my calling. Uh, number two, property as safe as houses, as the saying goes, um, always seen value in that, always recognize that property is a long-term play. Um, my current property portfolio is comprised primarily of rent to rent for anyone who doesn't know what that is. It's basically an agreement with a landlord. And then yeah, to the unknowing mind, you could call it subletting, but it's really not. It's illegal through a company structure and generates a very healthy return uh, for our company. And that, that's growing. Faced a bit of a wobbly during the pandemic, but we have recovered and we are on the, the incline again. Um, and then e-commerce, well, that was just to go and learn a new market, excuse me, and then go and see what does that look like during a pandemic year, especially seeing as the property had, had the property market had gone a bit, um, had gone on that little bit of a wobbly that I mentioned. So it was really just to learn a new skill. But I mean, you know, can you call yourself a five-figure seller? I am a five-figure seller. And uh, yeah, I mean, that's just ticking along, really. That's really interesting. And that that term of rent to rent, I've never heard of that before. Um, I'd, I'd kind of like to dive into that a little bit more. So essentially, you are subletting, but how does that work? Like, is the margins healthy? And how does that work in terms of advertising? Do you just, are you almost like a property manager in some respects? Yeah, so I mean, you could call it property management, you could call it pseudo landlord, you could call it um, subletting is definitely not the right term because that's illegal and I would never ever condone that stuff. So how it works is setting up a company and then through the company you engage with, let's take yourself, Chris, as an example. I engage with you as the landlord and say, right, Chris, let's work together over the next three to five years. I will guarantee you a rental income. So you're obviously, you've got your, your bricks and mortar and you need to see return on that. So I'll agree with you. Let's use a round number. 
Chris, I'll pay you a thousand pounds a month and I'll guarantee that to you. But then I take the, the um, effective like uh, management or own it, part, own, not ownership, that's the wrong word to use. But if I can use anyone who can see the inverted commas or hear them, it's just that kind of that notion. And then I will go and be the face of that. And you have no uh, expectation except for, you know, should the roof fall down, the walls cave in or the boiler burst, then that's still Chris's responsibility for everything else. If it's change a door handle, repaint a room, uh, you know, fix a toilet, uh, you know, all those kinds of smaller um, smaller things. Those are my responsibility. Tenants locking themselves out during the night, uh, replace a broken bed. Those become my responsibility. And we do stack the deal um, as part of a cash flow calculation. And yes, each property returns a very healthy margin. So uh, it does work quite well. Um, there are people that advocate for it and people who really don't like it. But you know, as someone who's in the trenches doing it, I do see value in it. And I see that in my, in my income. So, so it's great. And what's the e-commerce business? What are you selling for that e-commerce? Yeah, so in e-commerce, there's two different strategies you can follow. So one is arbitrage, the other one is private label. So I focus primarily on the arbitrage side of things. And what that is, is to take, you know, I don't know, a pen that I've got one here. And it's almost just to say, well, you know, if this pen, I can source it for one pound, but sell it for five pounds, take away Amazon's fees. There's probably like a two or three pound margin on that. Um, and that then becomes cash in, into the into the business. So, um, yeah, I mean, it's just really for anyone who knows the term arbitrage, it's source low, sell high. And then the difference there is what comes into the business. Okay, that's really interesting. Is there any particular products? Are you going on trend products or is it just, um, you know, everyday items? Or, and yeah. I take it it's Amazon that you're using mainly. Yeah, Amazon. And I do have a few items listed on eBay. Now, this is... Uh, you, you do have a lot of software and you do do a lot of analysis. So it's not just every product will work. You have to find the little nuggets of gold that, that lie in the product stores. So I've got a, a VA team that helped to, to find that stuff. Um, and yeah, we just go and source the products. And it, it, it's really a simple process once you get it going, but there's a lot of mechanics behind it that you need to understand. Yeah. No, oh, that's really interesting. So um, I'll definitely come to you if I want to do that. So that's it. That's, that's great. Thanks, That's it. <laughs> um, so, okay, we kind of got an idea of what drives you as an entrepreneur. You, you said the coaching, that high, that sort of thing. But what's that that feeling that makes you get out of bed? You know, when the, the alarm hits at six a.m. and you go, right, I'm going to get out of bed, and you don't want to get out of bed, but then you think about what drives you and gets gets you up. What is that thing? Well, I think it's definitely the problem solving element. So I love to solve problems. I love to build relationships with people, very personable. So I think, you know, lockdown has been very difficult for an extrovert like me because you, I'm stuck between the four walls of my room and that's the expectation. But, you know, networking, building relationships, helping people, serving, like I love that stuff. So getting out of bed in the morning is easy when I remember that those are the things I enjoy doing equally to re remember that, you know, I don't want to build someone else's dreams. I want to be able to build my own. And I know that that is, I know that, that the route to that is hard work now. So if anyone was to ask me, what are my 10 year goals? Well, I'm currently 30 years old and my, re my retirement plan is 40. So, you know, in the next 10 years, if I go and reflect on what the last three and a half years has looked like, then to go and now say, well, that growth has been quite steep learning curve. And then the natural order of things is that it will continue to rise. So I'm looking for that exponential growth and I know that it's going to take hard work now and there's going to be a lot of doubts and self-sabotage uh, along the way, but through persistence and consistency, I will reach the other side. And as long as I have it firm in my mind that the goal is to retire effectively financially retire by 40, that is very achievable because I've got already the mechanics and the momentum. So it's just really about keeping it up and you have down days, but by and large, I get out of bed and uh, probably have way too much energy for my housemates and my my family members across the board. That's really interesting, though, that, that you want to essentially retire at 40. You probably won't, 
Um, but it's just that you want the the financial means to say that you could stop working um, and be okay and still live a comfortable lifestyle. That's exactly what I, journey that I'm on. So I went from a from an agency with staff to essentially being on my own and building passive income streams, and because I knew that 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 was the way that I would like to live my life. That if I could literally say I want a month off. I can go and take a month off but but not only that passive income scales as well right so for me it was all about service work beforehand you know that i had to have me doing the work or i had to be involved in some way whereas i'd like to be able to sell a product or move something on without having my uh my kind of involvement in that and make sure that it's systemized and the processes are systemized and everything's ticking over you know like a wimpy so i can see why you uh you've got a lot of experience in that area because obviously you've been brought up with that so that's really cool amazing yeah you've said some really really important and impressive things there chris and those are definitely things i 100 agree with you on nice great so obviously we've got this um, epic topic that we're going to talk about today, which is um, you know how we can apply software development lifecycle methodology to business for the everyday business owner, because um, not everyone's a software developer, so they're not going to really understand that. So do you want to give us a rundown of what software the, the software development lifecycle is, mm-hmm. um, and then we can then start to kind of dissect that and apply that to the business? Sure. So the systems development lifecycle is really just a series of steps in a process that refer to how you know new or incumbent technologies sort of are formed and how they work through a process so that on the other side, you've got something that actually works in the market. It's probably the, the most layman's terms I can give it. So if you can imagine a series of steps, um, they entail planning, uh, you've got analysis or requirements analysis, um, you've got design, uh, you've got implementation, and then you've got maintenance. And we will talk about each one of these as we go through. But I think importantly here is to just understand that it is a process. And now there's also contention around, is it waterfall or is it agile? And it's definitely aligned better to the agile practice. So what does agile mean? Working agile means it, it accounting for change. Uh, it means adapting to those change, responding to customer uh, needs or customer wants, whereas waterfall, for anyone who, who is not familiar with that term, no, it's not the water that goes over the cliff, but it <laughs> is a very good analogy because what it does say is that there's no going back. So if you can imagine, um, you know, let's take a leaf, for example, and you drop it in the river and it goes over the waterfall, it's not going to be able to get back to the top. And that that's what waterfall is. It's where an idea will say, I want to develop a technology that does blah, 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 um, but there's no review of that. And you have to go through a series of steps. And quite often what you find is that it becomes time intensive, it becomes very costly, and it quite often isn't built to spec. Because although, and this is the biggest irony, change is the only constant, but it's the one thing that people are the most resistant to. So uh, the SDLC is very iterative. You can incorporate a lot of the agile thinking into it. and yeah, it's, it's a pleasure to talk about this because this is something that I really think we can apply to the business context as well. Yeah, 100%. So um, the other thing that people should know is that the waterfall is really fallen out of favor in the develop, software development um, kind of world. And that's because it's very inflexible and it's very costly in terms of change. So if you if you change anything, like like you said, you can't really go back and do anything else. But it's still in use in, in a lot of uh, areas, especially like military um, kind of applications or aircraft applications, where everything is very much determined from the offset and change is actually quite dangerous for those kind of applications. And whereas Agile is definitely more about reacting to those changes and incorporating them very early on, um, especially if using something like Scrum methodology, you know, it's on a weekly basis, you can kind of bring that back in and, and incorporate that change before you kind of move on to the next bit. And for me, software development lifecycle is actually the development of the software itself. It's not necessarily a project management 
methodology that surrounds it. It's more about the idea that um, when you're designing software, you're building software, um, you, you have these kind of sequential steps that help you ensure the quality around them and yeah. making sure that you, you're meeting every one of these things, but also that you can uh, help plan what's coming up so the different stages are quite clearly defined you've got the budgeting and you've got your timelines as well um so i think that's quite important to kind of give a an overview of the software development life cycle but i mean I don't, i've never seen this being applied any other way other than software so i'm really interested to see how how you can apply the this these this software development life cycle to business management and and why it's beneficial. So uh, over to you, let's kick it off. All right, cool. So yeah, firstly, definitely agree with everything you've said as well. Um, and I think for everyone, just remember that waterfall is a very archaic method. And I think it's just resistance to change. As long as you remember that people are not open to change. And that's by nature. People can go into organizations. We are agile. Why? Oh no, because we have a morning stand-up. Now, I'm not going to get into the, the, the nuts and bolts of all of that stuff, but if you are interested, just go and read up a, an article on Scrum and how the Scrum framework works. Um, but it, it's it, it, there's a big mind shift change that needs to happen across the board. But anyway, that's a whole nother conversation. Let's talk about the SDLC. So the first one is the planning stage. And now here, what we're often talking about is forming together and having you know scope of the project you've got sort of like uh you've got various artifacts that come out of it that's where you get your in indicative views of you know what are your cost estimations uh what do you think is going to be planned scope and stuff so you're kind of developing the the, I, the ideation phase if i can call it that now let's talk about the business side well when you've got a business you'll wake up in the morning and you'll say i have a dream to do blah 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 and you'll have that vision very clear in your mind or so you'll think. But what you really want to do is go and like break that down. So you go and think about things like your vision statement, your impact, what are your values, what's your unique selling point. So already you're beginning to start to form some of the ideation of this idea. The next one is building out a business plan. So we spoke about artifacts and having a project plan, but what about a business plan? So you've got very clear headers that go into a business plan and that deep dives into some of the things that you need to start thinking about. So once you've got those there, you're now saying, okay, well, who does this serve? So what we will go and do in, in SDLC through the planning is say, okay, I have this customer persona. Okay, but in the business context, you also have a, a customer persona. You've got your ideal client and that's who they are, where they live, what they like, what they don't like. And more importantly, how does your product or service align to their values and why should they care about it? So, you know, once, you, once you've kind of got this, you've got a vision, you've got a mission, you've got uh, objectives of what you want to do, your unique selling point, you're understanding more about your client. Um, you also then need to have a good idea about the numbers. Okay, cool. So now you're doing um, cash flow forecast. You're having, you know, that indicative view of what are my upfront costs to start this? So I need working capital. I need have investment into the business? Do I raise the finance on my own steam? Um, do I have uh, joint ventures with people? Um, but ultimately, it's to know the numbers. So you're already beginning to flex that muscle and say, okay, well, I know that I need to have X, Y, and Z in place, but I see X, Y, and Z return coming in the future. So that's, that's very important as well. I think once you've got that, you've formed, you've completed on the planning stage. So yeah, I mean, that's that's the planning stage in a nutshell, right? You've got uh, the things that relate to SDLC and you've got the things that relate to the business context. Yeah, 100%. I, I love that. Um, and because obviously in software, it's about the scoping of the project, you know, the plans and schedules and all the rest of it. And essentially, that is very similar to, to, the, to the business side of it. Why do you think um, we haven't really looked at using the software development life cycle before when it comes to applying for business because what you're telling me is very apt i mean we're only on the first stage i, I get that but why do you think it's so apt why do you think uh, it's so closely aligned well i think it's just you know I, I say this to a lot of people um that i speak to that you know the nuts and bolts of business apply it, it, it's not really like niche specific okay there will be nuances around it but 
again, I just think it's the wool is over people's eyes. You know, people that are in an employee, excuse me, in an employee mentality are very focused on being employees. Or people that are in business are very focused on business. And quite often there isn't an overlap. The things that you might think are obvious to one person are not obvious to another. So this is just an observation I've made. And I think through unpacking this process, I just do see a lot of synergy and I see a lot of ways. I mean, I'm always reading and, and watching and thinking about ways in which, you know, you can make connections between things because I will never attest to being the smartest person in the room. If I am, then I'm in the wrong room. Grant Cardone famously said that. But, you know, it, it, for me, it's, it's just really about seeing opportunities to leverage things I already know, because that's then a shortcut. And if I'm not having shortcuts to do things faster, then I'm not going to be failing faster. And failing faster means learning better. And that's just something that I embrace as part of my everyday life. So I, I don't know why people haven't done it, but I, I have. <laughs> I love that. That's brilliant. Thank you. Thank you for that. Let's move on to the next stage then. So the next stage talks about analysis. Now, here in the SDLC, you'll talk about requirements analysis. And that's really where you go and understand, you know, what are some of the features that this thing needs to have? So if it's, you know, let's take a simple example. Um, since we've spoken about a restaurant already, let's imagine that we've got a ordering system where you have an iPad on the table and you can order your food and it goes direct to the kitchen or goes direct to the bar and it prepares your order. And then all you need is somebody to bring you your order. So what you've now come up with is a system that you now need to implement. So when we go and look at the requirements, we're saying, yeah, firstly, I need to be able to place an order. The second thing is I need the kitchen to receive that order. I need the bar to receive that order. I need to be able to work out if it's a kitchen or a bar order. Um, I need to be able to notify a staff member when the order is ready. Um, I need to allow a customer to pay. And you can see that these are all forming what we would call the backlog of requirements. All right. So it's really now going and unpacking each one of those. Okay. So what does that mean for the technology? What do I need to do? How do I do that? And you start asking all those questions. Um, now, looking on the business side again, what we're saying here is doing things like market research. So going out and asking customers, I want to do this thing, does this make sense? I want to have this business idea, what are your thoughts? And you're always testing to see whether or not this is going to be a valid or valuable proposition that you're de de designing. And ultimately you're defining your MVP, uh, which is your minimum viable product or your proof of concept. You're trying to work out what is going to work and you can do this by being loud on social media you can do this by speaking up in forums you can get onto podcasts um you know you can speak to people that are in need and you can start to identify we've already spoken about your niche but you can now start asking that niche is it something that they actually want and i suppose the purpose here is to start getting the feedback to know if it's implementable actually which is something we'll talk about a bit later um, so what, other things you can do is like surveys, polls, customer engagement, but really just asking the questions and ultimately defining the requirements. If I'm going to launch this business, what are some of the things that I need to pay attention to or what are some of the things that I must avoid? And for me, that's the analysis stage. I love that. Wow. That makes a lot of sense. I mean, we had a, a, a great guest on talking about prototyping. And he basically said, if, you, if you're not prototyping, you're, you're not doing it properly. And it's so important that we, we get out there and start to ask our audience, because there's so many businesses that I speak to, I go, well, have you spoken to your target audience? Have you asked them what they want? No, no, not exactly. at all. So this is such, I would say this is probably one of the most important steps out of all of them. If you're gonna spend time on something, this is the thing you spend time on, because it'll either tell you to keep going or tell you to stop, right? And there's no one or the other, right? It, you, you have two paths and you'll say, is this worth it? Is this worth the time? Is this worth the energy? Um, and if it's not, then you stop, right? You pivot, pivot, that, that word. I mean, it's getting a bad rep now, but I, I, I mean, pivot basically means you failed, right? This is what people say. You failed and you, you, you haven't solved something. So it's the optimistic look that, Right. Okay. Well, if we pivot, maybe this is a better route, better direction. Um, it's got a bit of a bad rep, but uh, I think it makes still makes a lot of sense in the entrepreneurial world of pivoting. Right. 
I want to hear the next one. Go on. I'm, I'm excited to hear this. Sure. So before we do, I just want to say pivoting is only if you imagine a tree in the water or a rock in the water, it's how the water goes uh, around, over or through that. And, you know, I have nothing against pivot. It does have a bad rep. But I think if you're good in business, you sometimes do need to make subtle changes because that's what we're talking about anyway, is your adaptability and being able to uh, absorb and, and respond to change. So pivoting, I think, does have an unfair bad rep, but I think it's your right because it has the notion of failure. But that in itself is questionable. Okay. Yeah, I completely get that. Cool. So the next stage is design. So now what we've done is we've defined our requirements and we now know that we need to bring this together. So in an emergent technology, we're saying that you need to understand the structure, how it comes together, how all those requirements perform together. So we've got performance elements, non-functional requirements, we've got architecture. We're starting to bring it together and we're even having you know, various diagrams and artifacts that will show how does this thing work as a viable solution. But what we're saying in business is having understood what we want to achieve as a business, having tested some of the ideas with the market, it's now saying, how does that all come together to be the value proposition that you're trying to deliver? So if you're a product business um, and you're selling, I don't know, handbags, then your handbag is going to be, is it made of this leather or that leather? Does it come in this shape or that shape? Is it this design or that design? Is it this color or that color? How many colors do we have? Um, what is the price range of my of my niche? And you're starting to work that out. And now you've got to work out things like suppliers. So already we're beginning to form the value chain and the supply chain of this idea. So it's really just taking all the feedback you've gathered in the previous steps and then saying, okay, but so what? How does that come together in business? And I think here it's an important uh, observation is to, again, continue to test and learn and see do things work. Be baseline and improve. Does that mean your, your business plan needs some refining? Have you accurately done some of your numbers? We still don't necessarily know the final answer to that. But what we can do is backward look, because again, we're responding to some of the change and saying, is there something we can learn or have learned through this process? And then, you know, re-baseline and improve. We can start to set up structures and processes. We can work out that end-to-end -end supply chain um, and then really define if it's the product or the service, what does that look like together? And ultimately here, we're getting ourselves ready for launch. So in the IT world, you'll talk about mock-ups and you know, you maybe you have a degree of front-end as well. So what does it look like from a user, a user perspective? But again, our end client in the business context is really important to be front and center of this design work. We've got a lot of information, but how are we bringing it together? And what are we ultimately going to serve them with? And that for me is the design phase. Yeah, I love that. And I think it's it's more about the the readying up. That's what I really love loved about that is that you're you're about to to go live, you're you've got you're putting your ducks in a row essentially and making sure that you've got all your bases covered, all your your boxes ticked, so that when you start to to kind of implement, um you are systemized you have essentially your standard operating procedures, you have everything in place that once you start scaling and moving forwards, it's less of a, a headache. So I think that's, that's really epic. So uh, thank you for that. So next stage. Cool. So the next one is implementation. And then you can also throw in testing here. Excuse me. So what we're saying here in the IT context is that you're now beginning to do your building. You're starting to put the code together to actually bring these requirements to life. Um, you've got a well-formulated well set of steps, and now it's really about making the product. Okay, you're also now starting to bring in some metrics, and you're starting to do some uh, performance monitoring. You're starting to see, like, do the things conform to what the, uh, the specs or the what, what you've actually specified as part of the requirement? Does it actually work? Uh, and you're starting to build a technology that you can go live with. Um, and I think the important thing is going live. So in the Agile context, we'll always talk about, um, or at least in the Scrum framework, we'll always talk about having shippable product. So at the end of the cycle, and you'd alluded to it earlier, Chris, is saying, you know, it's, it's ultimately a two-week piece of work. At the end of it, you want something that's shippable. Okay, but in the business context, it might not be two weeks, but ultimately what we're saying here is let's go live. Let's take this thing to market and let's see what's going to happen now because you've formed 
your, your value and your USP, you've got important feedback and you've defined process for your product or your service, but now you're taking it to market and now it's go time. So how are you attracting sales? Um, what is your marketing approach? How are you reaching out to your customers? What customers, is it actually aligned to your customer avatar? Is that the audience that you're attracting? Um, do you have sales income? Uh, do you have, uh, sorry, your sales income versus your real income? So you can have a gross income, but after you've taken off your expenses, uh, which are your costs of sales, of course, how are you getting down to the real numbers and seeing what is the real income for your business? And is that a profit or a loss? Um, you're also then seeing your types of um, growth strategy. Is it organic growth that you're achieving or are you doing sort of like paid marketing campaigns to achieve the growth there? But ultimately, it's having something in the market. And again, paying very careful attention to how that those metrics are working, you start to see areas for improvement, refinement, what are some of the structures that you need to work on? Um, you'll see that I'm always referring to change. I'm always referring to adaptability. Um, and as long as you're conscious of those things, then you're constantly able to refine, which is why going back to it, agile, scrum, working through this review process, very, very important. And that for me is the implementation process. So the last bit you kind of cover in the optimization um, element of building and creating your products is probably another really crucial part of this. And I'm, I'm assuming that's going to be the next step. I'm, I'm in end anticipation, um, but I'm assuming it will be. Um, and that's the thing. It's, it's taking note of all the little things that have gone wrong, all the, all the business elements that you, feel, you thought you can make better and improve on. And then making, taking, taking that down, jotting those notes down um, as you're going through the process. There's a lot of times you get, you feel quite overwhelmed with everything that's going on that you don't, you don't create headspace or time to, to look to improve. Um, it's like that, that, that age old uh, motto, you know, you work on the business, not in the business. And I think that's really apt for that, that particular stage. So next stage. Yep. Cool. So just a quick little recap. We've done obviously planning, analysis, design, and implementation. So the last step is maintenance. Now in the business context, well, I mean, sorry, in the IT context, what we're saying here is it's looking at areas to improve. Did this piece of functionality work as expected? Were there maybe some bugs? Did we need, uh, it, it, was it actually fit for purpose? Because remember, you, you only know what you know and what you don't know, you discover. So as long as you're understanding that, then in the IT context, you can reform the requirement with an, an enhancement or a future release to make sure that it does actually achieve the customer outcome that you want. You know, customer experience is really, really important. It's got probably a bigger highlight in more recent years than in, in, in the older days, where it was very like enterprise driven and the business value was ahead of the customer value. But the whole point of, uh, customer experience is to shift that mindset and to have the outward in looking rather than the inward out looking. So as long as you understand that from maintenance, it's now to maintain the system, yes, but also to see areas for improvement on future releases. All right, let's look at the business context now. So what we have seen is that through this whole process, we've defined a business product or service that is going to be offering customers some value. Okay. Perfect. But if you've been paying attention to what you referred to earlier, the standard operating procedures, how are those working? Are they working well? Are there opportunities to improve? You, if you're going to be maintaining, it means you're going to want to scale and grow because the only way a business can go is up. If you stay static or you decline, you die. So how are you going to grow and how are you going to scale? Well, you're probably going to need to bring team members in. So if your standard operating procedures are well-defined, and you've, I don't know, recorded how you do things, or you've got, you know, screen shares and, and video recordings to show how you're, you're operating your business, then those are things you can then very easily hand over to a team of people that can start to help you do that. So you can focus on the growth element um, and the scale element and allow them to handle the operations and the administration. Um, the other thing is there might have been very manual processes that you do, and it's maybe now starting to bring in a, an example. You've got a recording of sales in an Excel document. 
okay, but maybe there's a way you can bring in a, a customer relationship management tool, a CRM, and you can start to record all of that stuff. And you can now start to see it almost like automates and systemizes part of the process. Um, and then equally, it's looking at your customer base and saying, where are the opportunities and how are we attracting new business versus how are we serving and maintaining our current business? Um, and again, very, very similar uh, reflections of what you would do in the IT context versus what you would do in the business context. That's great, great stuff. Wow, thank you for uh, enlightening us on that. And uh, I think actually, the more the more I think about it, the more I'm going to start applying these five stages to to my business advice that I give out as well, because uh, I just never saw that the tie up between the two. So what made you first think about it? What what was it that just this is a no brainer? Obviously, you've got experience in both. What was it that you saw that uh, you could apply it? Yeah, I mean, again, I'm I'm someone who looks for shortcuts and ways to do things, leveraging what I've already done before. And I always go into projects thinking, okay, but like, why are we reinventing the wheel here? Why are we not thinking about ways we've done this before? Why aren't we um, learning from the experiences we've had before? And then in the business context, it's no different. You know, although I read a lot and I attend a lot of seminars and I, you know, I'm never afraid to take on coaches or mentors of my own. I'm always looking for areas of overlap between the messages they're sharing. Because I think if you take, you know, Chris's perspective or Matthew's perspective out of the equation and you look at the perspective itself, you'll probably see very uh, similar interests, very similar ways and concepts of explaining something. And those are the keys. So, um, you know, just in the professional context, I've seen these things happen in technology. Maybe it's because I've grown up in a restaurant environment where, you know, I've been very in the nuts and bolts of ways to do things. And I don't think I'm going to take this order to that table and then I must come back and take this order to the next one. No, maybe it's I must take both these orders because one is on the way to the other. And it's just really looking for those opportunities to streamline, systemize, automate my processes so that I'm just running at higher efficiency. And when I saw this happen, when I just, I don't, I don't know, did I have an aha moment and I realized this was something that could really work? It might even have been you, Chris. I might have just even, you know, listened to you and you, you, your, your profile as a person and then just thought, you know, that this is actually makes so much sense. Or it's just something that I've always kind of known and adapted to my own life. But the more I explore it, the more I think about it, the more I talk about it, the more it makes sense. And you're right, it is something that that we apply to our businesses or something that I certainly do apply to my businesses anyway. Well, I completely agree. And I'm glad you uh, you came on the podcast to share that. But um, as a management consultant, what are your top three uh, business management quick wins that you'd like to share with the listeners? Sure. So I think for anyone who's, and I'm going to talk specifically in the business context here, because I think, you know, the purpose of this discussion is not really as much about the IT. It's more about what does it mean in the business context? Mm-hmm. But I think for anyone who's if you're starting out or you're further down the road, if you're listening to this and you thought, hey, hang on, I've learned a lot today. I want to just go and challenge your mindset anyway, because mastering mindset, excuse me, is so important uh, from the onset. So uh, quick win number one, you need to understand what's going on in your head. If you're not spending time to write goals, if you're not spending time to quiet in the mind, you know, Jay Shetty talks a lot about the monkey mind and the monk mind. And I think you really need to realize that society very much is geared towards the the monkey mind and that's distraction, uh, procrastination. I mean, TV, television, uh, I'm trying to think about how the the saying goes, but it's basically just... um, how it, it, it is robotic. It almost like gets you just thinking in a very a single-minded track, but books and seminars and audio and podcasts, etc., will open up some of your, your periphery. So the first one is mastering mindset. The second one is being very clear about the goals that you're trying to achieve in your business. So if you're saying, I want to do business because I want to be an entrepreneur, you're probably not going to get very far. But what if you are sitting down and saying, you know, like I've got a five-year goal, I've got, a, in fact, I've got a one-year goal, a three-year goal, a five-year goal, and a ten-year goal, and you're now breaking each one of those down and working backwards, then you've got the end in mind, and we quite often refer to that as your uh, exit. 
And as long as you've got your exit in mind and you're very clear about where you want to go, then that's going to put you in very good stead for, for your business. So the first one, mindset, mastering mindset. The second one, having goals and being very clear about the end so that you can work backwards from there. And the last one is just having a good understanding and a grip on your finances. You know, so often I see people, and especially with some of my clients, they've got all their businesses uh, wrapped up into their personal affairs and personal account. Now, this can become very problematic when you have to do tax returns and you have to declare personal income versus job income versus business income versus, I mean, you can just imagine how that can become. And now you have to unravel all of that. It becomes very complicated very quickly and can probably land you in some very hot water. Not only that, but your business's survive, ability to survive is only as good as how clear you are about the, the, the profit numbers, the actual costs, the uh, gross income, the cash flow forecasts, the um, sales forecasts. You need to have, be very clear about those um, and how they break down into real terms so that your business can survive and thrive. Um, so yeah, that's number three, having good understanding and grip on your finances. I love those. Um, I, I agree with all of them. I think they're great. And I love that you, uh, you name dropped Jay Shetty as well, because I thought that was really good as well. And not a lot of people know um, of him in the Western world, unless, unless you kind of stumbled across him um, on Facebook or, or some kind. So yeah, great, great uh, learnings and teachings he, he gives us. Um, and the goals working backwards. I was just having a conversation with someone yesterday, exactly that. What's your five-year goal and how do you work back? Then set the, uh, the steps, um, individual steps to get there. And then at least you know you're on the right path when you're thinking about those goals that you're setting. So yeah. really good stuff. Um, so how can, how can people learn more about like this business management that you, you're talking about um, and how they can support their business with these skill sets? Yeah, what resources? Sure. Yeah, sure. So, I mean, of course there's, there's reading books, attending seminars, uh, going on to Clubhouse, uh, you know, just really make Google your friend and I'll never forget moving over to this country and in, in South Africa, Data is, a, is at a premium. It costs a lot of money to have. And I was like, you, my sister, how do I get to point A or point B? And she says, oh, Matthew, just Google it. And I took that completely for granted because growing up in Africa, that wasn't the thing. But since coming to the UK, I certainly Google everything. So there's books, there's seminars, there's Clubhouse, there's Google. But importantly, it's to align yourself with people that are like-minded. And if you're, if you're the smartest person in the room, you're in the wrong room. So what you need to do is you need to align yourself with business mentors, coaches, advisors, people who have walked down the path, because if they're, if you're trying to go it alone, and I see it all the time, people are like, oh, I'm not going to make that investment. I'm going to do it on my own steam. Great. I understand where you're coming from. However, you're going to make the mistakes that all of us who have been down that path um, have made. And it's going to slow your progress down. So if you're serious about learning about business, if you're serious about understanding how to move yourself forward, if you want to get started on your journey, you need to align with people that have done it before, people who know what they're talking about. And it's not to say that everyone does. There are a lot of people who don't. But don't be shy to invest in yourself because if you're not investing in yourself, the biggest mistake people make is to say, oh, but it's too expensive. And when will I see results? Rather than looking at it, how can I invest in myself? And what am I going to learn through that experience? If you can shift your mindset to understand that it's not an expense, but an investment, Robert Kiyosaki, again, to drop another name there, is he always talks about um, good debt versus bad debt. And I think always investing in yourself is always good debt. Because even if you don't see a return right now, what you will do is plant seeds that will take you in the right direction. Even going back to your goals, if you've got an end goal in mind, it's only by setting that intention and moving towards that goal that the rest of them, the laws of the universe, will bring those things forward if you're consistent and persistent in your action taking. So that's probably my biggest thing. If you're really serious and you want to learn, you need to find the right people that can help you and take you on your journey. 
hundred percent. Find a mentor as well. I think that's a good that's a good one, and I'm sure that lots of people after this uh, podcast are gonna think, "Oh, this Matthew guy, he's he sounds all right." So, how can they connect with you if they want to do that? Well, I'm hoping that everyone that's listening to this has probably got access to Instagram or to Facebook. So, if you just literally search for the real business coach, you'll find me. Um, I've got a very simple uh, avatar across all the platforms. It's a not too well articulated version of myself. Um, behind, but importantly, behind me, there's half South African, half British flags. Uh, I quite often label myself on Clubhouse as Matthew between two countries. So if you just want to find me, look for the real business coach. Alternatively, you can look for Matthew at realbusinesscoach.com. Uh, and those will, that will also uh, point you in my direction. Great. Thanks, Matthew. It's a pleasure to, uh, to have you on the show. So thank you for your uh, teachings today. Uh, well, thank you so much for having me, Chris. And I really love what you're doing. So keep it up. I'm seeing a lot of good things coming out of this podcast. And I look forward to seeing many more. Thank you. It was really good to hear about how Matthew developed his hardworking mentality, or how he refers to it, the hustle mentality, working inside his father's wimpy restaurants. What did you think of Matthew's quick wins? Quick win number one, mastering your mindset is very important. And that could be spending time on writing goals or quieting the mind through meditation. And Jay Shetty talks about the monkey mind and the monk mind. Quick win number two, set a long-term goal. Be very clear about the end result and work backwards from there. And quick win number three, make sure you have a solid understanding and grip of your finances. But what was your favorite bit of the show? You can tell me on LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, YouTube, or Clubhouse, where you can find me with at HairDigital. And remember, there are several other podcasts available to listen to, which you can find on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and YouTube. And whilst you're there, I'd be so grateful if you could subscribe and write a review. But until next time, I'm your Quick Win CEO, signing out.